When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mystery thriller readers, this one's for you. We're giving away the 10 best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far to one lucky reader or podcast listener. The prize pack includes Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, The Lost Man by Jane Harper, American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson, and more, seven more if you can count. Just go to bookriot.com slash best mysteries to enter to win. And don't forget to leave your lights on. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 197, and we are recording on September 10th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. That is all I have to say. (laughs) Same. Basically same. It is Tuesday. Mm -hmm. We have nothing interesting to talk about except books, so we'll just get straight into that stuff. Okay, so how the show works. If you're new to this show, like I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations, so you can send us your reading recommendation requests to getbookedatbookwrite.com, or you can drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, you know, like, I need a book for my book club in two weeks, or my dad's birthday is on Tuesday, help, um, then please note that in the subject line of the email, big letters, or in the first line of your request if you're using the form in the show notes, also in big letters, preferably. We might email you back if we don't think we're going to get to the question on time or if we've already answered it on the show. Um, So that's why we ask for your email address. Let's see. Okay, we've got two items of feedback here and then we'll get rolling. Okay, so this is from Anonymous who says, Sarah, who is asking for Regency lesbian novel, uh, romance novels, says she should check out the lesbianreview.com. They reviewed a ton of lesbian books and each has searchable tags so you can search for historical romances using their tags. Um, and then Kristen says a recommendation for Angela, who was looking for positive marriage portrayal. Last year, I read Happy All the Time by Lori Colwyn. Despite the title, it's not cloyingly sweet um, or an ironic my life slash marriage is terrible. It's about two couples who have imperfect but loving marriages and friendships with each other. Okay, so thank you all for your feedback. Uh, if you have feedback, I don't know that we mentioned this often, but if you have feedback or like you want to recommend books that we didn't recommend for questions, you can e- email those to us and we will include them in this section of the show. Again, get booked at bookwrite.com. Okay, I'm going to read our first question and then we will roll on. Our first question is from Tom who says, I'm new to the podcast. I recently finished N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy and was absolutely staggered by it. But since then, I've been in a bit of a rut. No book seems to catch my interest and my brain yearns for more Broken Earth. I'm looking to light the spark again so this rut doesn't continue into the upcoming semester of my English MA. It would be a shame to read Jane Austen in this state. I've always been a fan of sci-fi fantasy, but I think the main reason I fell in love with Jemison's writing was more to do with her wonderful character work and narrative structure and the complexity of the mother-daughter relationship at the center of it. Okay, Jen's going to tell us about our first sponsor, and then away we go. And I think y'all are going to be very excited about this. Lee Bardugo, <laughs> who has been recommended on this show, oh, you know, once or twice, <laughs> mm-hmm. has uh, her very first adult 
novel coming out from Flatiron Books on October 8th. It's her first adult fantasy novel. And as you already know, she's the author of the YA fantasy novels Shadow and Bone and Crooked Kingdom. And this one is about a young woman named Alex Stern, who is, of course, a badass protagonist who uncovers the dark magic lurking within the secret elite societies at Yale. So magic at Yale, that sounds very interesting. Our second sponsor is also about Yale. This We're having weird. a Yale moment. That's weird. <laughs> that's weird. Well, magic in Yale, that's really interesting. Um, and it's Lee Bardugo. So obviously, everybody is very excited about this. Uh, the publisher is comparing it to uh, works by Lev Grossman, Deborah Harkness, and Neil Gaiman. So if that is your wheelhouse, which we know it is, you will want to check that out. Again, that's Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. It's published by Flatiron Books, and it is coming out on October 8th. So, you know, rev your reading engines slash get your pre-order on, etc., <laughs> etc. All right. So we're looking for uh, N.K. Jemisin-ish writing, not necessarily sci-fi fantasy. Uh, great, because I picked one that was not sci-fi fantasy. I picked Milkman by Anna Burns, which seems like maybe kind of, uh, you know, coming out of left field for somebody who loves Broken Earth. But hear me out. So if you are unfamiliar with Milkman, which who is at this point, it's won so many things. It won the Booker last year. Um, it takes place in the 70s or 80s. I think it's the 70s. The um, protagonist has no name, and she lives in an unnamed city uh, that you quickly realize is, I think, Dublin? Is it Dublin? I don't remember. It's a city in Ireland. It's set during the Troubles. And it's about a girl who is um, a teenager. She's trying very hard to, like, live a normal life during this time of, like, extreme political tension and violence. Um, and she catches the eye of a local, like, paramilitary leader who starts following her around everywhere she goes and really subtly but not so subtly ruining her life. Um, she's terrified of him. And, like, the whole book is about that, like, really claustrophobic tension. So it's not science fiction or fantasy, but the reason why I picked it is because you said the thing that you liked about Jemison was her characters and her narrative structure and the mother-daughter relationship. And Milkman nails all of those things in such interesting ways the characters have no names which is part of the narrative structure like it's obviously it's a purposeful choice um and the structure of this book is very um i, I wouldn't call it experimental but it is really stream of consciousness like you she goes down all of these mental rabbit holes um not in a way that is like boring or or um uninteresting at all it's just very flowy like there aren't a lot of breaks paragraphs are very long that kind of thing um and as you know, Broken Earth, that trilogy is told in second person, which again is not experimental, but it's unusual. And I think that it's like the same level of you got to do a little bit of work to get into the story. But once you get there, you're so like richly and deeply rewarded. Um, and their mother-daughter relationship in Milkman is fascinating because this main character is, I think she's supposed to be like 19. Like she's a very young adult. She still lives at home with her mother. Her father is dead. And her relationship with her mom is super strained. Some of her older siblings are gone, like they're political rebels. One of them's been killed. Uh, and her mom is a very traditional Catholic uh, and expects her daughter to like get married very young and have babies and do the traditional things that you do in order to like not stand out so you don't get murdered. Um, and she is presented at first through the lens of the main character as like this, like, I don't know, like cliche of an Irish Catholic mother. But the longer the book continues, the more you realize that it's really not that simple as it, you know, it's never that simple. And their relationship gets more 
more and more complicated. So it's a really, really fascinating examination of like what happens to a family when they're trying to just be normal under circumstances where normality is impossible, which of course is not as extreme as Broken Earth, where like the world is literally ended, <laughs> but it is interesting thematically. So that's Milkman by Anna Burns. Yeah, Broken Earth is hard to comp because, I mean, it really is sort of singular in a lot of ways. And I appreciate a lot, Tom, that you said you know, tried to break it down by specifics. Um, so I picked for I'm using up my third my third <laughs> recommendation of the psychology of time travel by Kate Mascarenas because I think it does have wonderful character work. It has a really interesting narrative structure and there are a lot of complex female relationships in it. So I as far as I can tell I, I think it will work for you. I just love this book also. Um, this one comes with trigger warnings for disordered eating, self-harm, suicidal ideation, and hazing. It's got a lot of serious, intense stuff in it, much like the Broken Earth books. And this is set in an alternate version of our sort of world where in the late 60s, four scientists discovered time travel and created a time machine and they were all women and just about when they were about to announce it one of them has a nervous breakdown and has to be institutionalized to, to be treated and they sort of basically just shunt her to the side and pretend that she never existed and 50 years later you see how far the time travel has come it's sort of become like a corporation that is also like a sovereign within uh, the whole book takes place in uh, Great Britain. And so they've like kind of have their own laws because how do you police time travelers unless you are also time travelers? Like it's very strange and complicated. And there are two young women who are in the sort of contemporary timeline because again, time travel. So the narrative, this is where the narrative structure starts to jump around. Um, Ruby, who is the granddaughter of one of the inventors of time travel, but it, it was the woman who uh, had the breakdown and was sort of ignored by you know, her accomplishments were erased and ignored. And then another young woman who is volunteering at a museum and comes in one day to find a murder scene. And it is really unclear how this murder happened. Like, it's a locked room, there's a gun, there's a dead woman, but like, what, how on earth did this happen? And so it's a bit of a murder mystery, but it's also a really complex story about mental health and about friendships and uh, family relationships and how complicated they get and how much emotion there is and how people can just like, you know, at a pivotal moment in their lives, make a choice and then the reverberations of that choice down through time. And the book does jump around in time and space a bunch because time travel and you get introduced to characters at multiple points in their own timeline, which can be a little confusing. And I'm the kind of reader who will just like go with it. But if you are the kind of person who's like, you know, got like yarn murder boards strung up for tracking plot things like you could do that, too. Um, and I just thought Masqueranus did such an amazing job, given how complicated all of this is. It's it's just so character driven and fascinating. And I loved it so much. And I, I did really get drawn in because of these really intense interconnected relationships and how they played out. And it was a very satisfying ending, I have to say. I was super into it. And this is a debut novel, which is bonkers. So again, that's The Psychology of Time Travel by Kate Mascarenas. 
Okay, our next question is from Vinny, who says, I am a teen in high school looking for something to read this summer break. Whoops, sorry. And I thought this would be a great way to do it. I love Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman's Good Omens. I love the witty humor and style, and I would love to find something similar. I love books with demons as well. Other stories I love are Coraline and H.P. Lovecraft. I also love horror graphic novels. Uh, Nice. Teen askers. We don't have too many of those. Amanda, what'd you pick? Okay, yeah, my bad. I picked the questions for the for our agenda, and I I obviously missed the timing on this one. So sorry about that, Vinny. But you can still read during the school year. Summer's not the only time. It's fine. Okay, I picked Sabriel by Garth Nix, which was my favorite book when I was in high school, and I think is right up the alley of anybody who likes Neil Gaiman or Lovecraft. So Sabriel's a it's a like epic fantasy series. There's several books in the series, um, and it opens in a boarding school in a universe called Ancelstier. Sabriel is obviously the main character. She's a little girl, um, and she lives in this boarding school um, and has a pretty, like, normal kind of kid life. Um, and then she realize- she gets word that her father, who is the Aporson of the Old Kingdom, has gone missing. So the world is split. The Old Kingdom is the one where, like, magic still exists. There are still demons and necromancers and all kinds of spooky spooks, um, like, wandering <laughs> the Old Kingdom. They have a king, they have a queen, and then and Celestier is, like, a much more modern, like, they have electricity and things like that. Um, and she has spent most of her life away from her father. They're not close. And he, she knows that he's the Aporson, meaning he's, like, kind of he's not a member of the royal family but it's this very important prestigious position whose job it is to put down the dead and make sure that they stay dead like in defense of the kingdom um you know defending the kingdom from warlocks and all of the dead spirits that they resurrect to you know do their warlocky build build bidding excuse me warlocky bidding never said that before <laughs> um and so when she finds out her dad is is missing she realized you know she's got to go home and like find him so she goes back to the old kingdom and at this point she's a young adult um, and has to, like, solve the mystery of where her father went. And, of course, since her father is, like, a very powerful magic person in this kingdom, um, and the position is inherited, she has to take it up while he's gone. So she is, like, tossed into this position, has to learn how to operate all of these, like, magical instruments and um, work with all of these spirits who, like, live in her house that she didn't know about, and all the while trying to figure out, like, who is my, like, who exactly is my father? Like, who is this man who I barely knew um, while she's getting used to this world that she doesn't know anything about, despite the fact that she is and always was going to like inherit this position. Um, she's like completely unprepared. But it has that gamey feeling that like it's, it's a story for young adults. It's a YA novel, just like Coraline is a story for children. But it's like, a tick too dark, you know, and and I'm not saying that like kids shouldn't read Coraline, they should, it's amazing. And I love it. Um, and the same thing with Sabriel. But when you read it, you're very much like, this is like, a little goth for a kid and i think that if you enjoy that kind of feeling that you get of like of Coraline, we're like this is a little bit spooky for for the intended audience and sabriel is like exactly what you want so yeah so that's sabriel by garth nix i am so glad you mentioned that you also love horror graphic novels because i have a pick for you <laughs> it's hexed volume one by michael allen nelson with art from emma rios and dan mora and it's the first in a multi-volume series and i love this series so much oh my goodness i'm so excited to have an excuse to talk about it again so the main character in this series goes by lucifer her full name is lucy jennifer inacio desneves and she is a thief for hire she steals 
But she actually steals supernatural objects and has some powers of her own. And her sort of mentor, Val, is an art dealer who has like a gallery. And so some of the things that she steals are in the gallery as like precious artwork. And one day she accidentally unleashes evil from one of the paintings hanging in the art gallery and has to deal with the ramifications of that. And there is so much like, creepy crawly like even just the cover of this if you look at it you will see you're just like ooh, like it's very (laughs) it is very lovecrafty there's like lots of like eyeballs and demons and weird stuff going on and magic and pentagrams and all of those things and i also love how detailed the art in the galleries is like i'm a little bit of an art nut and it was so cool to see all of these different like sort of made up pieces in the gallery and all of these different styles and then lucifer is an amazing character. They uh, call her a mashup of Lara Croft and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I don't think that's too far off. Like it's pretty, that's pretty much who she is. But she's just like, she just has no time for anyone. And also she's got all of these secrets from her past that, you know, keep her on the run. And she doesn't really trust people. And she's just a fantastic character to follow. And I think you will get as into it as I did. Um, And they are available from the library. I was checking in uh, the first volume of Hexed is available on Hoopla, which is pretty handy and there are probably more so you should definitely check it out again that's hexed volume one uh michael allen nelson emma rios and dan mora really good stuff okay question three is from emily who says i just finished city of girls by elizabeth gilbert and really enjoyed reading about a woman moving to new york city in her early 20s and sort of finding herself i also really loved how this book covers such a long time span so you're really able to observe the protagonist's evolution the story is very relevant to me as i'm in my early 20s and i'm starting my adult life in a new city i would really love to find another book with similar elements as city of girls i enjoyed the period piece but it doesn't have to be one bonus if there is a romance subplot of some fo- of some sort i've already read sweet bitter and didn't enjoy it very much other books i've enjoyed are little files fires everywhere a Little Life, Wild, Eat, Pray, Love, and and uh, A Beautiful Boy. Okay, so I'm going to keep going. I picked Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls. I actually, the book still works, but I misread your question as a woman moving to New York in the early 20s, not her early 20s. So this is a book about a woman moving to New York in the 30s, which is close enough. <laughs> um, but it is also about, you know, a woman moving to New York in her early 20s and sort of finding herself. I love this so much. It's like an updated retelling, kind of, of The Great Gatsby. It's not actually, like, it's not based on The Great Gatsby at all, but it has that kind of vibe. Um, So it's about a 25-year-old woman. Her name is Katie. Katie Content, actually. Two Ks. Katie Content. Um, She lives in Greenwich Village. And at the opening of the book, she's in this, like, really divey jazz bar with her roommate. They live together in a boarding house, um, you know, in in a very, like, 1937 Manhattan kind of way. And they they have three dollars like between the two of them and they're trying to make it last with drinks and stuff and have a night out and they meet a banker named tinker gray which is just the most it's the most gatsby name that ever gatsbyed other than gatsby um so they meet this banker and they start flirting they get they become friends and katie and tinker develop this relationship where she um in her like orbit around him starts socializing with these really upper echelons of New York of New York society and Manhattan society. She ends up in like the executive suites at Condé Nast. She ends up in all of these really fancy parties. Um, she like crashes a Wall Street secretary party. It's just really, really random because she's friends with this with this guy who 
as you get to know him, the connections between him and Gatsby become more obvious. Like he is not, he doesn't himself come from money. Um, and he has these, the rules of civility that are referenced in the title are, are George Washington's um, 21, I think it was 21 rules that he wrote to himself for like how to get along in civilized society because Washington was also not like a really well-born kind of person. Um, so he, this, this guy, this like mysterious Tinker Gray has taken these rules onto himself in order to make something of himself in Manhattan. Um, and through Katie's eyes, you kind of see his rise and then his eventual fall. And just like in City of Girls, it does take place over a long time span. Um, the narrator is telling you the story from modern day, I think it's in the 60s, the 60s, um, where she's gone to an art exhibit of a photographer and sees Tinker in some of the photos. So she knows like what's happened to him. And she's telling the story about how he ended up where he eventually ends up. There's also a couple of romance subplots. Um, she gets in, Katie gets involved with like this very odd, shy kind of multimillionaire guy. Um, but mostly it's just, I don't know, like this really engrossing novel about wealth in Manhattan in the late 30s, like right before World War II. And that snapshot is amazing. I love that kind of historical fiction that gives you like slice of life of a very particular set of like social circumstances. Um, so through the eyes of these two pretty, like historically poor characters thrust into these really, really wealthy um, social circles, it's just, it's amazing. So that's Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls. Amanda, you and I are on exactly the same wavelength with this question. Yeah, Because I picked a book that's been on my TBR for forever. It's The Group by Mary McCarthy, which my good friend Stephanie Anderson, who uh, is a librarian now but used to be a bookseller with me, just sold like hand over fist at the bookstore in Brooklyn and was constantly recommending it to me. And one day I'll read it. Um, but it's perfect <laughs> for your question because it also actually takes place between World War One and World War Two, And it follows eight Vassar graduates who were sort of known at Vassar as the group. And they meet up a week after graduation to watch one of them get married. And then they like start their lives. And like some of them like go into publishing in New York and some of them travel to Europe and some of them get married and some of them have a lot of one night stands and some of them turn out to be lesbians. And like they all are doing sort of their own thing. And some of them grow apart and some of them stay close. Um, but they're all trying actively to like not be like their parents which you know hashtag relatable um, <laughs> Who and it? <laughs> it also takes place over a long period of time they all come back together again to mourn the loss of a member of the group and so you are getting sort of this like decades long overview of the lives of these women and like how they have decided to move through the world and like what does that look like and I think it's I think it's exactly sort of what you're looking for um, this one does come with trigger warning for domestic violence for sure and there are possibly others like i said it's on my tbr so i'm not sure of the exact ones but since you've been reading like a little life and little fires everywhere and beautiful boy like i think you're probably fine <laughs> so again that's the group by mary mccarthy all right. Our next question is from Jenny, who says, last semester, my brother asked me for reading recommendations for his English high school class. This semester, he asked me for more, but I'm stumped. The two books out of the five he enjoyed were Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain and The Dirt by Motley Crue. When I asked him what he enjoyed about the books, he said, quote, because they are real and the drug use, LOL, unquote. My brother is 17. Any suggestions <laughs> would be appreciated. This cracked me up so hard. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. <laughs> Amanda, what did you pick? 
Okay, I would. I mean, there are so many memoirs about drug yes. use. <laughs> like, there's so many. Um, so I picked The Electric Woman by Tessa Fontaine. I think this would be so interesting for somebody who likes Motley Crue because Motley Crue is kind of a circus. Um, so Tessa Fontaine, it's a memoir, obviously. Uh, Tessa Fontaine is was a member of the World of Wonder, which was is America's last traveling sideshow, or might be was. It was still in existence at the time when the book was published, which was in 2018. So when the book opens, Tessa's mother has had a series of really debilitating strokes, and her she spent, I think, three years caring for her mom, um, and then her mom and her husband decide that they're going on this, like, really epic several week long um trip to or several month long actually trip to Italy um because you know they always wanted to and they don't know how much time their mother has left and so Tessa becomes completely unmoored you know she spent the, all of these years of her adult life caring for her mom and her mom's like jetting off to Italy as if she isn't really really ill um so Tessa makes this like impulsive decision to join the circus <laughs> or a carnival i should say um which she does and it is very real and there is a lot of drug use so she lies at the audition and pretends that she knows how to eat fire which she doesn't and starts off as basically a grunt like setting up and tearing down um the set and every time they move to a new city there everybody sleeps in the truck like there's no electricity there's no running running water there's no air conditioning, and of course it's the summertime because they're going from state fair to state fair. And along the way, she learns how to how to eat fire. She learns how to handle snakes. She becomes the electric woman, which is this perform this like act where she lights up light bulbs in her mouth and that kind of thing. Um, and she, all the while, like the book is about that. It's also about her experience with the other carnival workers and how she earns their trust um, and gets their like their life stories. Some of them are lifers, have been on the road with this carnival for their for years, like their entire adult life. Um, she figures out how to get the drugs and like who's doing all of the drugs and like which um, carnival workers are actually dangerous in that way and which are just like recreational use. It is so fascinating, and if you read it like you I mean obviously you can google the author but the pictures there are pictures and interviews and video of her that was taken while she was traveling with the carnival so you can see these pictures of her like fishnets and a corset just sweating all her makeup off with a snake wrapped around her neck it is bananas and it's so interesting and entertaining but it's not just like I feel like a book about Motley Crue would be entertaining but maybe not what's the word I'm looking for vulnerable in any kind of real way um but if he liked anthony bourdain anthony bourdain walks that amazing or walked that amazing line in his writing between like badass rock star of his field and vulnerable person who was not afraid to tell you about his feelings or his life um or like give you an intimate look at his heart and i think that somebody who can tolerate that from anthony bourdain would really really like this so that's the electric woman by tessa fontaine yeah, I changed my mind like 16 times trying to figure out what to write. Because I like the school part is what's stumping me. I'm like, some of my recommendations are not school appropriate? School appropriate. Question mark? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're reading in high school. Like, I, I know what I was reading when I was 17, which was probably things that my teachers would not have been delighted about. But anyway, I picked Wishful Drinking by Carrie Fisher uh, because Carrie Fisher is hilarious. And she's Princess Leia. And I feel like it might be a good in for a teenage boy who is maybe interested in, you know, real stories about celebrities in Hollywood and things like that. And, like, doesn't necessarily know the whole story of Carrie Fisher and the world that she grew up in, which is so wild. Um, 
And and this is the story of her, especially growing up in Hollywood. So, you know, born to celebrity parents, getting the role of Leia when she was only 19, you know, becoming a single mother and battling depression and, you know, being institutionalized and battling addiction and just all of these things, uh, you know, being married to Paul Simon. Like, this is all stuff that I... Oh, I forgot that happened. Right? <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. It's like, you're like, oh, right. She lived such a life. And... She's I think she's just so funny and frank and like talk about vulnerable, like not at all afraid to talk about the struggles, but also like the things that she actually did. And like you just can't get realer than that. And she had some really dark experiences and just but the way she talks about it is so engaging. She's such an engaging writer and she's so honest and frank and funny. And I feel like, yeah, like if you're going to fall down that rabbit hole of like memoirs about people who have lived really kind of wild lives, this should definitely be part of that experience. So again, that's Wishful Drinking by Carrie Fisher. Okay, our next Yale-related yes. sponsor, that's weird, I don't know why that's happening, um, is Yale Needs Women by Anne Gardner-Perkins. So while the ninth house is Yale plus magic, this book, Yale Needs Women, is Yale plus feminism. Um, so this is a nonfiction kind of history of the summer of 1969, which is the first Yale, first year that Yale admitted women. Isn't that bananas? That is. That's so bananas. I cannot believe that. So, um, yeah. So in 1969, they admitted their first class of women. And Ann Gardner-Perkins, who herself is a Yale University graduate, um, has researched the lives of those. It sounds very much like the group, actually. Like, researched (laughs) the lives of this first class of women who were admitted into Yale's undergraduate school. So, of course, (laughs) of course, their experiences were not awesome. Um, They had to deal with a lot of sexism, despite the fact that they were allowed into the the school. They were just not allowed into, like, the corners of the school that matter um, more, which, you know, like the secret societies and the kind of networking and institutional structures that a place like Yale would have um, that can very casually bar whoever they want to casually bar. And so they smashed this big barrier into getting into Yale in the 60s and then were faced with like all of these other barriers um so like just this tons of male culture that they were totally unprepared to face um so Perkins is following these women through their experience in the 60s of being Yale's first class of women and I feel like I need to read this because I don't like it sounds rage making but also really really fascinating um so if you liked like hidden figures the radium girls the rise of the rocket girls all of these these really recent um historical pieces of nonfiction that have come out about women who have broken a lot of glass ceilings and broken down a lot of barriers then this is definitely something you should go pick up so that is Yale Needs Women by Anne Gardner Perkins I just makes me angry. No. I can't believe that. It's 69. Like, what? Okay. All right. Our next question is from Claire, who says, I'm a dancer who has sustained a very bad injury. This has put my life in a tailspin. I've lost my job. I've lost my chance to move. I'm waiting to lose all of my savings on a surgery that doesn't even have a date set yet. It's been eight weeks, and I've got nine more months. I need something to get me through this waiting. What would make you feel better if you couldn't stand for a year? Or alternatively, I have roughly eight months to learn something new. Maybe a book in that vein. I'm very open to suggestions. I'm just kind of stuck. I mentioned I'm a dancer for a reason. Please no dance books. It will make me sad or mad. And that is not the goal. Okay, Jen, what you got? Well, 
I would like to recommend cross-stitch to you (laughs) because (laughs) stabbing a piece of fabric repeatedly with a needle is very therapeutic. I can speak for myself anyway. And the book I'm recommending is Subversive Cross-Stitch by Julie Jackson uh, with photographs from Bill Milne. And the subtitle of this is 33 Designs for Your Surly Side. Like these are irreverent, (laughs) angry, like annoyed words with like pretty flower and bunny borders. It's really entertaining. And it will also set you up to create your own. And I, I'm not even kidding, like cross stitch is therapeutic for me, especially once I like got into designing my own because you can make it say whatever the hell you want. And then like, make it all pretty and fancy and pink or blue or purple or red or whatever, like you can do whatever you want. And It is not hard to learn. It's really, it's a pretty cheap hobby. And I think like you could definitely kill some time, which it sounds like you will need to do um, Mm -hmm. while cross-stitching. Also, bonus, you can totally cross-stitch while watching TV or listening to audiobooks. Like that, it it goes with everything, I swear. Um, And and I think that you might find some like enjoyment out of designing your own or falling down the rabbit hole of cross-stitch patterns that are on the internet, many of which are free. Oh my gosh, there's just... A million billion. So I think that, yeah, you like, if you need a new hobby that doesn't require you to move around very much and you can do it while you do other things. And also you get to stab, like I said, stabbing fabric repeatedly with a needle, like very therapeutic. Uh, cross stitch is your game. So again, that's subversive cross stitch, 33 designs for your surly side. And it's by Julie Jackson with photographs from Bill Milne. So I'm realizing I made an assumption here that I don't know is correct upon second. Look, I picked So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport because I assume that you're a professional dancer and that now that you you like are going to need to get a different job. So I don't know if that's you actually didn't say that anywhere in here. You just said that you lost your job, but that could be any job. Maybe you're not a professional dancer. I don't know. But in case you are, I think it works even if dancing is just is like your hobby and it's um, a thing that you don't get paid to do. But either way. I stand by my <laughs> recommendation. So, So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. The subtitle is Why Skills Trump Passion in the Quest for Work You Love. Because if you have found yourself in this terrible situation of not being able to do the job that is your passion, and now you're going to end up having to do something that you aren't super passionate about, that sucks. Like, there's no getting around how much that sucks. But the premise of So Good They Can't Ignore You is that your passion does not have to lead your job like your career. you Not everyone, in fact, very few people have careers that are about the thing that they are passionate about, like deep down in their hearts. Most people are just working jobs that pay their bills so that they can, on in their free time, do the stuff that they like. Um, and so this book is about finding out what that is. Like if you can't pursue whatever it is your passion is as a career, what are you supposed to do then? And how do you become happy in a job that isn't about the thing that you feel like is your life's purpose or isn't about the thing that you feel like is, um, you know, your biggest talent or whatever. Um, And so his Cal Newport's whole idea here is that um, passion comes after skill, not the other way around. Like you will become passionate about a job the better you get at it. And if you have eight or nine months to sit around and like think about what your next step is i think this book will help you start to consider like other options when i read it it was i had just like been fired from my job i was i didn't i had like two eight month or eight week old babies like it was um really helpful for me in considering how 
I don't have to have a job doing something that I love right this second. Like I can get a job and then develop a career and love that because I get really good at it. So I found it really personally helpful in like a crisis moment. So I am recommending it to you. So that's So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. All right. Our next question is from Jennifer, who says, I'm looking for books, classic and future classics for a project for my high school freshman literature. This is the high school like teenager show, it turns out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> high school freshman literature class in Mexico City. I have to start the project ASAP and need some help. I would like female authors, uh, books that are around 300 to 350 pages long that would interest a fully bilingual teen audience. The project is basically to teach them how to choose a book. Uh, they will read mm. from a list of a titles that I will give them. I have the following titles already on my list, 1984, Fahrenheit 451, Dracula, and a bunch more. Uh, like to put together a much longer list so that they have to do a little research before choosing. Hope you can help and thank you. I'm going to keep talking. I picked Signal to Noise by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, which is set in Mexico City in both the 1980s and the er- like early aughts, 2009. And I feel like this is... It should be taught in schools, 100%, because it is so interesting what Marina Garcia has done here. And also because it is set in Mexico City, like I feel like it's perfect for your high school freshman. The main characters, uh, Sebastian, Daniela, and Meche, are 15, so they're about the same age as your students, and they are growing up in Mexico City in the late 80s, and they are outcasts who have found each other sort of as, like, the fellow misfits in their neighborhood and their school, and Meche figures out that she can do magic with vinyl records, and, like, brings Sebastian and Daniela in, and they start to figure out, like they can maybe change some things about their lives. And then, you know, flash forward to 20 years later, uh, Meche is returning to Mexico City for her estranged father's funeral. And you know that something went horribly wrong with this magic that Meche and Sebastian and Daniela learned how to do, but you don't know what it was. So the book, it balances back and forth between those two timelines and you gradually get the full story of what happened. And it's so well done. It is like it has this, you know, element of fantasy. It's very into music and it does have an interesting narrative structure. So there's so many things going on here that are interesting to dive into in a classroom setting. And then also it's relatable. It's well-written. Like, I just think it's I like I would have loved to have read this in high school if it had been out when I was in high school, which it wasn't. <laughs> Poor me. But this is your opportunity. So and again, like it's, you know, it's by a Latina woman. It's set in Mexico City. Like it just feels so perfect. So again, that signal to noise by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Um, I picked Land of Love and Drowning by Tiffany Unique because I really believe that this is going to be considered a classic someday in the future. And you were asking for classics and future classics. Um, it's a it's a bit on the longer side for what you were asking for. It's like 360 pages in three, instead of 350, but it's totally worth it. And it takes place across 70 years in the Virgin Islands. I think St. Thomas specifically. Um, it's a family saga about a pair of sisters and their half brother. Um, when, when the book opens in the early 1900s, it opens on the night that the Virgin Islands are being transferred from Danish 
colonial rule to American colonial rule. Um, and on that night, a, a ship sinks in the Caribbean Sea, and that event sets off uh, all of this this like family saga up until night. But excuse me, up until the 1970s. Oh, I forgot to give you a trigger warning. Trigger warning: There's child abuse and incest in this book, but it's not so graphic or hard to get through that I don't think a teenage audience would be um, like traumatized by it. I don't know. I read Beloved in high school, so maybe I'm a little skewed about what teenagers are like cool with reading these days. But it's got some magical realistic elements in it. But since it does, it's doing so much. It's doing so many things that I think make a book a classic or a future classic or whatever. Um, It's got that magical realism, like I mentioned, that epic family saga, like a book that can tell a multi-generational story in 350 pages, like that succinctly, uh, without feeling like it's skipping or losing anything or moving too quickly, I think is like really, really brilliant. Um, Also, this the, the tropical setting is so it fascinating like it's so interesting and and you feel really engrossed in what's happening in the book um and it is like literary fiction you know with like a capital l capital f but i don't think it is um going to be off-putting to teenage readers especially because it does have that kind of fantastical element happening and it's just scandalous enough you know to keep kids like into it so that's land of love and drowning by tiffany yannick okay our last question is from weatherly who says i'm looking for fun rompy, not sad sci-fi and fantasy by authors of color. I found that whenever I want to read something funny and silly, I always end up reaching for white British male authors like Douglas Adams and Terry Prashett, and I really think that there's got to be more that I'm uh, missing. Some books I love the feel of are Good Omens, The Gospel of Loki, Howl's Moving Castle, and Space Opera by Catherine Valenti. Bonus points for Black American writers, but any non-white funny fantasy slash sci-fi authors, I'm into it. Okay, I'm going to be quiet. Jen, what do you have? (laughs) Well, so I'm going to shout out, even though it doesn't count, because we're going to definitely recommend this book later, Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez, (laughs) which Amanda recommended recently and doesn't come out until next week, but is so good. Oh, my God, it's so good. Um, And it is so funny. It's so funny. Okay, but my actual recommendation is The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden, who is a Black American writer. And this book is set in South Africa, which she did spend some time in. And um, and it is it is it's really funny it's really dark it's really weird and like so are all of most of the books that you mentioned loving so i feel like this is in your wheelhouse if you haven't already gotten to it and this is so interesting because it's like a little bit magic and a little bit sci-fi uh it takes place in south africa in a future where like Everybody's got personal robots and, you know, renewable energy is a thing and, you know, they're working on poverty and the economy is booming and there's genetic engineering and like things are good except for there's this new drug that's like doing weird stuff to people all around. Maybe some of these, you know, personal robots are getting sentient and also an ancient demigoddess who like basically pray needs blood to survive and pain of others has awoken and is gonna try to take over the world so (laughs) there's a lot going on and the story revolves around a young girl who is you know discovers under very unfortunate and upsetting circumstances um trigger warning for like child abuse and sexual assault uh she discovers that she has powers and you know everybody is trying to sort of 
get control over her and like tell her what she should do with her powers. Um, there's also a really lovely queer story about two teenagers who are like experimenting with this drug and also figuring out some things about themselves. Um, and there's a politician who like night, you know, moonlights as a drag queen. And it's just a really amazing cast of characters and. I loved it so much. We all loved it so much and frequently describe it as banana pants. And it like walks that line between doing really intense and fascinating world building and also being really hilarious, but also like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Like it, it does a lot of things really well. So again, that's The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. Okay, I checked and we have not recommended this book this year or at least not three times so i'm picking sorcerer to the crown by zen show which we did like when this show first launched it was the sorcerer to the crown it show. Was. like we obsessively talked about this book but i'm picking this because i actually i've just finished the sequel so i was reminded of how much i really really love this series so sorcerer to the crown um is by a malaysian author and it's a regency fantasy so it takes place in the UK or in Britain specifically uh, during the Regency period. And it's about a man named Zacharias, who is a freed slave who has inherited the title of um, Sorcerer to the Crown. Basically, in this uh, universe, magic exists pretty openly. Um, and a lot of different countries have relationships with what they call fairyland. Some places call it something else, but like the, the realm where magic exists, um, essentially. And in the UK, England has lost its access to fairyland for political reasons and these like well of magic in England is drying up. So the they call themselves philosophers, but the or thermitages, but the magicians in England can't actually do any magic. So they spend all of their time um like making it this really heady academic thing. Uh and then when Zacharias inherits the title and the staff of the sorcerer to the crown who is like the head magician of the land complete chaos erupts because he's black and he was a slave um he's not from any kind of um aristocratic family no one knows who he is um and now he like leads all of these dusty bewigged old white men in this very academic kind of um society uh which he is determined to like fix like he wants to go to fairyland and figure out why magic is no longer um easily accessible uh and figure out what he can do to correct it while also having to defend his position from all of these people who hate him um, and, you know, deal with their, like, snarkiness. Um, so he goes to the borderland of Fairyland to try and figure out what's going on. And while he's there, he discovers a woman who is um, a magician, which is not legal in the UK. Women are not allowed to practice magic. Prunella Gentle... Gentleman, yeah. Um, Prunella is at a boarding school for women who do have magical abilities and the schools are entirely designed to teach them how to suppress it. Uh, and she just does not want to. Like, she's a very angry, um, obstinate character who I deeply, deeply love. Uh, yeah, and so they meet and go off together to try to solve this, uh, you know, to fix the dusty, dusty sadness of white UK magic. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so much fun. Um, there are so many hilarious side characters like this witch from malaysia who's the, just this like grizzled old woman who shows up and scolds everyone for no reason like she's so cranky she's the best everyone in these books is the best all the time forever amen so that's sorcerer to the crown by zencho and the sequel is the true queen and also all everybody in that is the best forever amen yes so say we all <laughs> hammer 
That's it. Are we done? We're done. Yay. I was waiting for you to go, but you already talked. Okay. Thank you all so much for listening. Please go leave us a reading and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen, where are you? I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's IRL, and also on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you all next week. 